uh, with us. And as he's here, we've traded a Georgia boy for a Georgia boy. Um, John, as again, if you're with us regularly, you know John um, is not with us this morning. He and Jenny are in uh, Raleigh-Durham this morning. Uh, they're up there for a concert at Meredith College, and they were invited to do that concert. So I thank Sam for leading as he always so faithfully steps up uh, when John is, uh, is gone. And again, it was a joy and a great, great gift to have Alan with us this morning. Uh, let me say, because I don't want to uh, forget to say at the end, but after worship, Alan will be here in the gathering place if you want to stop and say hello. And, and he has CDs. I know many of you have bought his CDs um, over, the, uh, over the years that he's visited. I believe he's got a new one. In fact, I think the song that you just heard is on his newest CD. Uh, so you can stop if you want to see some of the, some of the music that, uh, that he has got available. Now, we're going, to, uh, we're going to shift gears. Oh, real quick, just a heads up warning for you Floridians um, like me. Those of you that are, that are from Florida, that you live here year-round, this week, later in the week, it's supposed to get down in the 50s. So get your winter coats, get, break them out, break them out. That's some serious cold weather coming. So uh, we, used to, we used to laugh, and I know some of you know this, when, when Tony and I went to, to Florida Southern as, um, as students, obviously, that, uh, you know, like any, any school in Florida or anywhere, you know, you've got students from all over the country, and you could all, this is the time of year you could tell the Floridians from the Yankees. Because it gets to 50, and you look out at the pool, and the Yankees were still swimming. And we were bundled up. So uh, it's, uh, it, it's coming. But boy, I don't know how long it's going to last. We know that it never lasts long, but boy, it can't get here soon enough. So uh, we're, we're ready for that. In a few moments, we're going to be in First Thessalonians. Uh, before we get there, though, this is uh, what I was thinking about this week. I was thinking about uh, th- this title, Words That, that Make a Difference. Words that, um, that have an impact and, and shape and, and bless relationships and, and connections. And so I started to think through specifically three word phrases that would kind of fit into that words that make a difference. Some of them are obvious to you. Probably the most obvious are these three. I love you. Right, of course. Important words to speak. We, we sometimes take them for granted, um, Dad tells a story of once sitting with a, a, a couple in, in um, counseling, um, a married couple, and asking, I think it was the husband, saying, well, how often do you tell your wife, I love you? And he's like, I don't have to say it. She knows it. Okay? Now, now sometimes that's, we're guilty of that, aren't we? We're guilty of assuming people know our feelings. So, so those words that are really important. Some other words, three-word phrases that are important. Um, I was wrong. It's funny, they laughed at the first service too when I said that. <laughs> but those are words that are hard to speak. So, I mean, how you grow up watching Happy Days? You remember? You remember that was the phrase that Fonzie could never say? I was You know that? that? But that's the way that happens sometimes. I was wrong. Or I am sorry. Okay, those are important words. Now, what goes hand in hand with I am sorry? How about this one? I forgive you. You know, I, I, I forgive you. Or there's others, I am with you, I miss you. I mean, there's, there's any number of phrases that we could start to rattle off that would, that would have phrases and, and words that, that have an impact, words that make a difference. These are the ones I want to focus on this morning. I 
thank you. I thank you. Or more succinctly in the way that we normally kind of think about it is just those two words. Thank you. Thank you. How are we at expressing gratitude? We, we know that, that inherently we all um, need those words. In fact, it's interesting. One of the studies I came across in, in preparing for the sermon was a study of um, 200,000 um, executives and business leaders and, and companies and small businesses, businesses of all sides, all sizes. And they found out this through the study that employees that received expressions of gratitude, thank yous, the employees heard thank you, they were, not surprisingly, more productive. That they were more productive, even in doing the things they were already being paid to do. But that when, when businesses had a culture or there was expressions of gratitude and thanks within the, within the, the rhythm of, of business, within the rhythm of, of relationships, that employees were more productive and the businesses were more successful. And so in some ways that become kind of became somewhat marketable. So a, a drive and an emphasis on, on leaders and business owners and CEOs to be more expressive in their appreciation and their gratitude. So much so that there was a cheat sheet that was created of 28 phrases to help those leaders who were deficient at being able to say thank you, 28 ways to help them express gratitude. Simple things like, I appreciate you. You make my life better or my my productivity better, you make a difference, you have impact, uh, things that really nobody should need a cheat sheet for, but, but they did that so that to try to ingrain this, this practice and, and this habit into leaders of saying thank you. And, that, and that's not just for leaders, but certainly it becomes embodied that way. I, I always think of uh, Sam Walton founder of, uh, of Walmart, you, most of you know the name, he used a, a, a business practice. He didn't invent it, but it's some of you who are business people know that it was management by walking around. Uh, I, the t term is, is, is credited to Hewlett Packard in the 70s, but it goes much deeper than that. They say that Abraham Lincoln used to practice this when he was president with the Union soldiers. <laughs> that he would, you know, walk around and it's this idea of being present and interacting with those in a, in a corporate or any kind of a, a, a relational culture. But one of the things that the reason I think about Sam Walton is he had principles that guided, that he tried to follow that guided his, his um, leadership. Things like hire people based on their passion, develop mentoring relationships. But one of the things, one of the many, was show appreciation. In fact, one of the things he talks about is critique or criticize in private, but praise in public. Because we all have that need. We respond to that. We, we become better in a lot of ways because, again, it's one of the things we all need. It's one of the things that we almost never ask for. It'd be interesting. I mean, maybe some of you are an exception, but most of us have never asked somebody to be more generous with their thank yous. The reality is we probably all have people in our lives we wish that were more generous with their thank yous because that is, is something that we need that's important to us. And even when it's done out of obligation, maybe it's a good way to start because maybe it begins to build the habit and what is done for, you know, I, I, there's, a, there's, there's a tendency to be a little bit skeptical that it becomes a marketing tactic. 
But the reality is maybe the practice, whatever motivates it, maybe you fake it till you make it kind of a thing, you know? You fake it till you make it. Because here's the challenge for me. It's not that I, I need more people in my life to, to, be, to show me appreciation. We all do that. I'm going to assume that there's nobody here that doesn't like to hear the words thank you and doesn't have relationships in your life where you either receive that or you wish you received it more. I don't think that's the question. Here's the question that, that I wrestle with. Here's the, the question I want you to wrestle with. Not do you wish to receive gratitude more, but do you need to offer it more? Do you need to be expressive in your lives in gratitude, in thank yous, in expressing to not only to God but to others your appreciation for their involvement, their role, their, their, their contribution to, uh, to who you are. And that leads us into this scripture this morning from 1 Thessalonians. The beginning of this letter to the church, and I just want to read to you what Paul writes in these first 10 verses. Begins, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with the power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out to you not only in Macedonia, Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report the kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, help us to hear your word and to be open to the movement of your Holy Spirit in these moments together. We pray in Christ. Amen. So Thessalonians, the beginning of Thessalonians, these 10 verses is, for all intent and purposes, it's a thank you letter. I mean, I hope you heard that. It is, it is a thank you letter from Paul to the church. And on a side note, let me, let me confess something to you. Yesterday morning, I'm in the, the study at the parsonage. I'm doing what I do on most Saturday mornings. I'm starting to, to kind of review the message and really try to imprint it. And... I'm reviewing these thoughts of, of the importance of gratitude and, and these reflections on Thessalonians as a thank you letter. And I have this gnawing ache in the back of my spirit, the back of my mind, if you will. And it's God, and he's convicting me because he's reminding me of something. On my to-do list for over a week now has been a list of names of people that I needed to write a thank you letter to. 
that I hadn't done yet. And here I am, memorizing, working through, putting the, the pieces in place for a sermon on gratitude and thank yous, and I haven't done it. And the hypocrisy wasn't lost on me. So I stopped what I was doing, stopped the sermon prep, grabbed the thank you notes, and I wrote my thank yous. And I took them to the post office and I mailed my thank yous. And some of you are going to laugh because some of you in here are going to get some of those thank yous <laughs> in these next few days and, and more to come. And that's not to pat myself on the back, but to say that, that this importance of thank you, of gratitude, is that I need that. This should have been done long before it was. But I need a reminder of Paul's example. Paul begins with thank you. He begins with this message to the church of, of gratitude and appreciation. And that's the formula that Paul used. And I don't see formula to say that he didn't mean it. But in all his letters, he begins with words of gratitude except one. There's one letter that he doesn't do this, and that's the letter of Galatians. It's the only place Paul doesn't do it. And I think it speaks to the fact that Paul really wasn't happy with the church in Galatia. So he did not fake it. He didn't offer it just because out of an obligation. Paul did it when he genuinely felt it. Even though, again, it was the, the standard form, if you will. It, it was, they weren't empty words. Paul is grateful to, for the church. And so 1 Thessalonians is thank you. And what's interesting is it permeates this entire letter. Because again in chapter 2, in the middle of the chapter, he does it again. He thanks God for the church. He thanks them indirectly through his thanks to God. He does it in chapter 3. There's only five chapters in Thessalonians. One commentator wrote that there's so much thanksgiving in, thanksgiving, in, in Thessalonians that commentators don't know what to do with it. I mean, there's more than they can handle, if you will, because he, he repeats this, this, this need to express to them his deepest gratitude for their faithfulness and for their ministry and, and for their service. He has a deep affection and affinity for this church. Now, it's helpful to remember the circumstances in which the church was birthed. He and Silas launched his church in their second missionary journey. And I think there was a lot of anxiety in Paul about the, the health and the, the, the longevity of the church because they didn't get to spend as much time there as they wanted to because shortly after the, the, the church was birthed, uh, Paul and Silas were run out of town, as was not an uncommon occurrence in Paul's life and, and ministry. So I think there's probably some anxiety for them. But as he hears of their faith and their faithfulness, you can just hear that joy and gratitude spring up. I want you to hear again. Let me read again, just verse 6 and 7. It says, You became imitators of us in the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. Some of your translations say persecution. In the midst of your severe suffering with a joy given to you by the Holy Spirit, and so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You became a witness. You became a, a model, if you will. And for that, Paul is, is grateful. So he's, he's pouring into the church these expressions of gratitude. And he's doing it by expressing his gratitude to God. Now that's how he does it. He says, I thank God for you. Again, that's how he does it in chapter 2. That's how he does it in chapter 3. That's how he does it in his other letters. I thank God for you. And, and understand, they would have heard that exactly how Paul wanted them here. How I hope you would hear. If I said to you, as I do 
I want you to know that one of the common things that I talk about when I'm with friends or I'm with other people outside of the church and they ask me about Parish United Methodist, I will tell them I am so thankful to God that eight years ago, Tony and I got called to come and be the pastor, the family, pastor and the, and the family. I thank God for you. I thank God that God put me here in ministry, that God has put me with you to be joined in ministry. That is praise on you because of the, the participation and the, 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 the uniting in ministry that we get to share and the relationship we share and, and the fun and the laughter and the worship and, and sometimes even the tears that we share. But it is an expression of gratitude for you because it is God that has brought us together. That's what Paul says. I am thankful to God for you because God has brought us together. But it's that reason for his thankfulness. The, the fruit of his thankfulness, if you will. And that is because in being brought together, these people, these new followers of Jesus, have fully participated in the work of the gospel. They have taken on that role to not just become, he's not just praising them because they've, they've intellectually accepted the truth of, of Jesus Christ. He's not just praising them because they have come to a personal relationship with Jesus. That is part of it. But he's praising them because they have become his partners in ministry. And what they believe and what they have internalized and what they have professed has begun to shape and has shaped how they live. Here again uh, from a little bit later, in, or, I'm sorry, very early in verse 3. He says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Hear that again. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Your faith, your hope, and your love. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Three of Paul's primary um, foundational truths, faith, hope, and love. And he's saying to the church that you have embodied that. You have taken that on. And it has shaped your being. It has shaped your doing. It is not just an intellectual exercise of faith, but it is a, a personal reality of the way that you live your life. And we have become partnered in that. And so he models in Thessalonians and he models in Corinthians and he models in Ephesians and he models in Philippians and elsewhere that he understands the importance of gratitude and being thankful to God and to others. And I believe deep down that the reality of Paul's life of gratitude, that is expressions of gratitude, that doesn't mean that he could sometimes not be critical and very pointed. But I believe it not only opened others up to hear Paul, but that it also opened him up to see God. See, here's, here's what I think happens when we begin to, to live lives of gratitude. When we begin to see God's work in the, the lives of those whom we have relationships with and that we interact with is we begin to see God at work in ways that it would have easily missed. And we begin to see the value of others because when I can see the value of what God is doing through you, can, when I can appreciate what God is doing through you and our partnership in ministry, I lift you up in our relationship, in our connection. 
In fact, in the, in the 30s, Martin um, Buber, uh, a German, I'm sorry, a Jewish um, theologian, he talked about the, this, and he talked about the nature of, of human relationships. And I'm going to just kind of simplify this a little bit. But he said that our relationships come in two forms. There is an I-it relationship and an I-thou relationship. And an I-it relationship can happen with inanimate objects, but it can also happen with other people in our lives. And that is when you are in a relationship with somebody, usually momentarily, that you see their value as simply the service that they provide for you. And so an I-it relationship, and we all do this. This isn't necessarily me being overly critical, but we all do this. When you go to Publix and you need somebody to help you find something, and you find an employee, and you say, can you tell me where this thing is? That's an I-it relationship. You know, you need that person to be able to help you accomplish a task, and really, you're probably not looking for a deeper relationship than that. You know, it's the, it's the, the polite banter with the person um, at the deli, or the person who, 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 you know, cashier, or person who bags, any number of things. But it's based on a service. And, and you don't really, you're not necessarily looking to know whether or not he or she is, you know, have struggles in their marriage or they're, they're, they're financially tight or their feet hurt. You know, you just kind of need to get something done and you need to move on. And again, I'm not saying it's critical, but that's true. We do that. And here's how I know. How many of you go to Walmart and use the self-checkout? Yeah. Why? Because it's faster and because I don't want to talk to anybody. Right? Sometimes. Sometimes. Or McDonald's now has them. You can go right to the big screen. You can punch your order in. You can pay with your credit card. You don't even have to talk to anybody. Okay? Because in those roles and in many others, it's an I-it relationship. You're providing a service. That's what I need. And then we're going to go our separate ways. And again, I do it. You do it. It happens. But Buber talks about an I-thou relationship. And moving to an I-thou relationship, which is relational, which is a self-investment, an interest in somebody, uh, a, a, a caring and a, an engagement based on not what you can do for me, but my interest in who you are and your interest in who I am. And it's interesting the little things that can begin to shift a relationship from an I-it to an I-thou. Let me tell you something that happened Friday night. I didn't do this as an intentional experiment for, uh, for the sermon. But uh, on Friday night, Tony and I, uh, we had the night to ourselves. Cassie was at school late for an event. So, so we went to dinner, just the two of us. And we went down to Texas Roadhouse uh, in Bradenton. Friday night, so it's pretty crowded. And um, we called ahead, fortunately, so we got in pretty quick. But um, it's, it, you know, it's packed, the, the wait staff, and, and everybody's working nonstop. And uh, so we sit down, and our waiter's name is, is Kirby. Kirby was an excellent waiter, very efficient, very attentive to what we needed, got the job done, was bouncing around his tables. But it was a classic I-it relationship. Kirby, could, you, could we get some more soda? Sure. Kirby, could we get some more bread? Uh, Kirby come by, can I get you anything? Yeah, we need this. Or, you know, that was the nature of the relationship. We were the customer, he was the, the waiter, and it was what kind of service we could get. But the interesting thing, the dynamic changed about halfway through the meal. And again, I didn't do this with any 
thought out intentionality, but I noticed as many of the, the employees there at Texas Roadhouse do, they have sports hats and things. They have teams that they wear. And Kirby had an Atlanta Braves hat on. Now, you Braves fan? All right. Okay. Me too. So, so I grew up, uh, especially in days before Rays and Marlins, you know, if the, you remember, if you lived in the South growing up, we had two teams we saw every day, WTBS and W. GN, thank you. We had the Cubs and the Braves. And being born in Atlanta, I was a Braves fan. So we'd go to Atlanta games, or we'd go to games every summer. And I can remember watching them in the 80s when they were terrible and watching them in the 90s when they were great. Now they reverted back. But um, anyway, that's another, another note. But he had a Braves hat on. So when he came, at one point we had a little bit more time, or I thought, you know, I wasn't going to keep him from being about something else. I just asked him. I said, Kirby, are you a Braves fan? Because I didn't know if he was just wearing the hat because he had to wear a hat or whether it actually meant something. And it turns out Kirby was from Georgia. Well, he actually had been in Tennessee, but he was, grew up a Georgia, a Braves fan. And we began briefly just to talk, not about can you get more bread or refill our drink, but I got to share with him growing up a Braves fan. He got to share with Tony and I growing up a Braves fan and some of our shared experiences. And in a quick moment, the relationship shifted. And it went from I it to I thou. Because I took a moment to show an interest in something that had nothing to do with the service I was getting. He had a moment to share with me something of him that had nothing to do with the job he was doing. The relationship became deeper, if you will. It was momentary. Uh, it, it was, you know, fleeting. Kirby will probably never remember us, uh, knowing how many people came through. But you could feel the difference. There are a lot of ways that begins to happen, but I believe gratitude is one of those ways. When we live expressively and thankfully for the people in our lives and the things that people do for us in our lives. John, uh, give, bear with me for a moment. I knew I keep blanking on this gentleman's name, so let me get, make sure I get it right. Um, John Kralik. John Kralik wrote a book in 2010 called 365 thank yous and the, the subtitle is how a year of gratitude changed my life or something along those lines what he did in 2008 when his second marriage was failing his law practice was failing uh, his life was just not it was kind of a, his relationship with his adult children was on the on the outs what he did is he had this kind of epiphany to begin to be intentional about gratitude. And so on the first day of January in 2008, he wrote a thank you note to his son for a Christmas gift he'd received. Didn't even have his son's address. Had to call him up and get his address. And he began that day with writing one thank you note every day to somebody in his life, friends, families, um, business acquaintances, and then started to move down to people that just small, what we would consider small acts of kindness that he'd received. And for an entire year, he wrote a thank you every day. And he shares how it began to change his life. It didn't make his life smooth. He didn't mean he didn't have setbacks or difficulties. But he began to see relationships mended, relationships deepened, connections made. And he began to see blessings around him that he would have missed before. 
gratitude begins to change us because we begin to see God's hand at work in ways that it's so easy to miss when we are so inwardly focused. Gratitude, appreciation, thank you, turns us outwardly focused. And we begin to see God at work in ways that would have been so easy to miss. So the question is, for me, the reflection for me, the reflection for you, is do you see and do you say enough the words that make a difference? When you come in here on a Sunday, do you take note of the folks that are at the doors to greet you and hand you a, a bulletin? When you come into the gathering place, do you take note of the folks that are sometimes scrambling around to make sure that there's goodies on the table or, or take note of somebody that came in early to make coffee so you could have a cup? When you're dropping off your kids for Sunday school or nursery or children's church, do you notice those volunteers that, that have taken their time to, to be there for the kids or the volunteers that are sitting in the back sound booth on a Sunday morning so that the screen moves appropriately so that we can sing along? I mean, there's just any number of ways to, you, and I know many of you do. I know many of you do. But the challenge is for all of us to see a little more a little more and to live into this example of Paul. I thank God for you. I thank God for what you have done, for the, for the thing that you've done for me, whether it be big or small by the world standards, to have a heart of gratitude because it begins to change us. So again, the question is, do you speak enough the words that make a difference? Let's pray. Lord, that we, would, um, that we would be open, that our eyes would be open, our hearts would be open to the, to the way that you're at work all around us, the blessings that other people play in our lives and, and the ways that we can be thankful and show gratitude and, and see your hand at work to praise you and, and to praise others, that we would be overflowing with our thank yous and that ap appreciation would be kind of the hallmark of our lives because that's the way of Jesus and that's the way of those who follow Jesus. We pray in your precious and holy name. Amen. There's no better moment to